in here. Hello, lifters, and welcome to the next episode of Raising the Bar. I have a very special guest with me, Miss Barbara Lee. Barbara, how are you doing today? I am good. How are you? Doing so well. Thank you so much for being on. Um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? I am a 40-year-old mother and also a grandmother, believe it or not. Oh, wow. I have, yeah. I have never guessed that. <laughs> Yeah, two grandbabies, a three-year-old grandson named Kingston, and an 11-month-old granddaughter named Jade. Um, I am currently living in Georgia. I've moved here in October and have been here training with Steve Goggins and the Goggins Force team. I work a job job. I have a nine-to-five working in accounting, so I'm a nerd with numbers, and I have been powerlifting for almost 10 years now. So I don't think I realized it was that long until I started doing podcasts and people asked me and I was like, you've been doing this for a while, girl, but it's been great. And I'm still just as much in love with it as I was when I first started. And then this year makes five years coaching. So I've tried to become more active in the sport, not just lifting, but coaching, also helping to run meets. I've done a couple of seminars. couple charity events around the holidays. So just wanting to give back, but a lot of stuff centered around, I guess, you know, more supporting women and just, you know, trying to get them to not be scared to lift weights. Absolutely. And, you know, it's so funny that a lot of women still think that picking up anything more than a 10 pound dumbbell is going to make them bulky, like whatever bulky means. Right. And clearly this is bulky. Right. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's so funny because I think back to, you know, when I was a teenager in my early twenties before I really got into lifting and I had that same thought, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to get bulky. And now that I've been lifting for so long, I'm like, how much bigger can I get? Like, I want my legs bigger. I want my shoulders bigger. Um, So it's very funny how like that's, your thought process on that transitions, like as you get deeper into the sport. Well, and it's funny because when I first got into it, I was bigger. Like I actually weighed less than I weigh right now, 10 pounds less than what I weigh right now, but I had no muscle. And so I started off wanting to get toned, you know, that I want to be toned. So I did that for a while. And then my trainer at the time incorporated lifting weights. Never once did I think I don't want to lift weights because I don't want to get big. And then when I started losing weight, started getting muscle, I loved it. Mm-hmm. But it's ironic because my ex-husband said, I don't want you to look like a man. So that was the first person who implanted the, you're going to look like a man thing. And I was like, where do you get that from? Like what women look like men? So then I went down that rabbit hole and started looking like, why do people say that? And I found bodybuilders and I was like, but I don't do that. So I don't want to bodybuild. I just want to lift so I'll be fine but I never thought about that until someone else put that in my head yeah and there's there is so much like societal pressure for women especially for power lifters like and one thing that I love about you is when, when I follow your page like you're so heavy into cosmetics and like you love the the beauty and like the beauty industry and <laughs> right and, and I love that because a lot of times people think that women that are strong and muscular and femininity can't coexist at the same time. That's absolutely not true at all. No. And that's why I took COVID and I conquered another fear. And I said, I'm going to start a YouTube channel and I'm going to do makeup on my YouTube channel. And 
The hardest thing about it was I had severe acne when I was in my 30s. And so I had really bad acne scarring and I never wanted anybody to see me without makeup. Mm -hmm. And so my son actually said, mom, just do it because there's other people who have acne and you never can tell when you have makeup on. So you need to teach people how to do their makeup if they have acne scars. And I was like, okay, I'm going to make a drink. And I'm going to sit down and I'm going to do my first video. I had to do it with a drink because, <laughs> you know, liquid courage will make you do anything, right? And yeah. so my, my YouTube channel is, um, it's actually my Instagram, Miss Barbell Barbie, but I named it Beauty and Strength because I want it to be about, you know, there's beauty in being strong, but there's also a sense of strength that you get from feeling like you feel beautiful. So I just thought it was perfect to incorporate my weightlifting with my makeup and hair like I do wigs I do nails like the whole nine so it's been fun because I've also had to teach myself how to do those things and it gives me an escape when I want to get out the gym for a little bit and just lose myself in something else so it's been fun absolutely um you know funny enough before I transitioned into coaching full-time I was in the cosmetic and fashion industry for years Mm. um and before I started lifting like I had um, you know, insecurities with the way that I looked and looking back on it, I know that I was compensating with like the amount of makeup that I would wear and always had to look perfect. Anytime I left the house, even if I was just going to the grocery store and it, it stemmed from not being comfortable in my own body. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when I found lifting and found, you know, found my beauty through strength, like you said, I think it's very eloquently, but like I've noticed now that over the years, I, I don't have to wear as much makeup, like going to the grocery store. I don't have to put anything on. Like I'm, I'm cool yeah. with that because I'm so much more confident in, in myself. And I don't necessarily feel like I have to hide it through makeup. And like, I, I love how makeup makes women feel right. Mm -hmm. And it accentuates like, you know, those natural features of a woman. And I think it's fantastic. And like, you're trying to bring those two together and really prove that femininity and strength can go together. And I think that's fantastic. Right. And I think it's funny because more now I go out, like you said, wearing less makeup because mm -hmm. I'm just, part of it's because I'm like, Hey, people have seen you without makeup now. So you don't have to pretend if yeah. anything, I'm like, I'm going to put some concealer on because I don't always sleep the best. So you can hide your designer under eye bags. Nobody needs to see that. But <laughs> designer under eye bags. I love that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> These are not just your regular. <laughs> yeah. Um, but other than that, I still, I don't want to hear I look tired. I know I look tired. I don't need you to tell me I look tired. So I'll put concealer on, I'll fill in my brows and I'll put on some mascara to look awake. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know what? That's enough. You don't have to do the full face, but I also want to let them know that if mama wants to serve, she's going to serve. Absolutely. Love that. Love that. Yeah. Um, so speaking of strong women, you definitely represented strong women at the American pro. What was that? Two, three weeks ago now? Um, yeah. along with several other women, um, Christy Hawkins included, like that woman just blew my mind at that event. Yeah. Um, I was like, all right, Christy, whoop my ass already. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Like you can't even be mad. I was like, who's going? All right. I'm not winning. Exactly. Um, but you know, if, if you're, if you're not going to take first, like you, it, you lost to Christy Hawkins, like you can't really like complain about that. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, I just, I love watching her lift, but, um, the American pro in general, like was probably one of the most amazing and well put on meets I've ever seen. And that was just from like a spectator standpoint. 
And some of the other athletes that I've talked to who, who participated in that meet said that it was just a whole nother level. And they really made you feel like pro athletes there. I could not agree more. And I said afterwards, it was funny because Steve said it first. He was like, if I died tomorrow in the 30 plus years I've been in this sport, I can feel like this is the best experience I've ever had in my life. And I was just like, ah, okay, whatever. You're just saying that. But initially I was kind of nervous about it because I was like, I don't need all this hoopla. I just want to go lift. Like mm -hmm. this is kind of a distraction. I thought it was going to be a distraction. And especially like our last deadlift, like he literally came get us from the waiting area going out to the platform. He's like, no, I want y'all to go over here because you're going to walk down the red carpet. And I was like, I'm going to fall. I am going to fall in front of everybody or I'm going to trip. And so the whole time I was walking, everybody was like, oh, we watched the video. You had such an intense look. And I was like, you want to know what was going through my head? Don't fall. Don't trip. Don't <laughs> fall. Don't walk fast because you're going to trip. And then like when I got closer to the platform, then it was like, OK, now you can focus on your lift. But the whole experience was just unreal. Like that was the biggest stage I've ever been on. It was the most exciting meet. I love that they use lifting casts because it made it so much easier to follow what was going on. And I've never used that at a meet before. But then also too, the next day I got to experience it as just somebody watching the meet. And it was just like, okay, this is kind of cool. Cause I did every, I paid for the VIP table. I didn't have to do that. I was a lifter. I could have walked around, but I wanted the full experience. And I was just like, as soon as it was done, I said, I don't know what y'all got planned for next year, but put me on the roster. Like if I'm healthy, if I'm not healthy, I'm still going to try to go. But just, I don't think there was anything. I'm trying to think if there was any feedback that I had that I think they should have done differently. I think the only thing I complained about was that shirts weren't included. Like we had to buy a shirt, but for the amount that they had to spend to make the event, what it was like, I kind of complained a little bit at the beginning I was like what this much for registration this much for this it was all worth it and I, I would pay it again so I I can't think of anything else at this point that I would say that they needed to change and that has by no by hands down best meet I've ever done yep best meet for my career and also as the experience Yes. And we'll, we'll definitely tap into your personal performance at that meet here in just a second. Cause I, I have a lot of questions about that, but, um, it, it definitely set the standard for what professional powerlifting should look like and for powerlifting really to just be stepping into that like pro level space. Um, I think that they did a really good job at giving like spectators a reason to one, pay that much money. And like two, just, you know, really put powerlifting on the map because, as many people as we feel are involved, like in, in relation to other strength sports or just other sports in general, like the, the general population of interest is still pretty small, but as someone who, you know, may not be interested in powerlifting to see something like that would probably pique their interest as a spectator. Yeah. And I was actually talking about that with a gym owner this past week at a meet I was helping Steve with, and he is an ex pro crossfitter. And so he was talking about how much money the winners of the CrossFit games get. And this is like hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I was just like, am I in the wrong sport? But 
he was like, you got to think about it. There are millions of CrossFitters, like millions. Mm -hmm. And so the money that comes into it, there's so many more people, like there's a bigger audience. And I was like, well, powerlifting is big. Like I kind of felt some kind of way because I was like, don't talk about my sport like it's small. But when you think about it on the grand scheme of other sports, it's, it's not as widely known as we like to think it is. Absolutely. You know, we're, we're so invested in it and it's our entire world, but you know, a lot of people are like, well, what lists do you do? Like, really? <laughs> you know, and, and they, they me like that. Like, I, I know, right. Like right. they think that powerlifting and CrossFit are more synonymous, right. That they're absolutely not two very different approaches to, to strength sports, but um, yeah, like, Anna, or, um, Anna and Micah definitely did a phenomenal job at putting that entire meet together and it's very impressive. Um, now, did you cut weight for this meet? Well, <laughs> I wasn't supposed to have to, but I ended up having to cut about five pounds. I normally walk around at like 160 mm -hmm. on a heavy day, like 162. And since I got injured a few years ago, I kind of just was like, I'm going to let my body stay where it is. And I'm not going to cut for meats until I feel like I'm back at a competitive level. And then I did my first meet at 148 at the showdown last year. And it was a disaster. Mm. Um, squats went well, bench went well, and then just my deadlift tanked. And that was the thing that has never failed me. Yeah. So I was like, I don't know. Like it had me questioning everything because I was just like, what did I do wrong? But I had a lot of life stress happening. Just, I never want to be the one to blame things on outside factors. But as a coach, I'm always asking my athletes, were you sleeping? What were your stress levels? What was going on outside of your training? So mm -hmm. I knew I needed to think about those things. And so I kind of just was like, okay, I'm going to stay around 160. I'm going to train there and I'm not going to cut for the meat that I do next. And then I decided to cut anyway and did the Battle of the Bay. I did that at 148, but I did it in wraps. And the cut was a little brutal, but the day was amazing. So I was just like, you know what? This is kind of redemption for the last one. You know, you still can go at 148, but let's, because my bench tanked at that meet. So I was like, let's just see what happens. Stay at 162. You won't have to cut. Go in strong. I got COVID like seven weeks out. Oh, no. And I was like, you know, yeah. And I, the thing that scared me the most was all the people that I know who have lost weight, lost their strength, lost their muscle. I can't eat. I was like, I'm not going to be one of those people. And one thing I know is cold medicine will make you hold water. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'm going to take cold medicine every four hours while I have COVID and I'm going to force feed myself. So I actually gained weight and I literally slept eight and trained and that was it I worked but I worked from home so it was just I'm not doing anything else I'm gonna kick this really quick I have to because I don't want to sacrifice my meat right I came back I was in Houston when I got COVID I came back and I weighed 175 and I was like oh I don't like how this <laughs> looks work. <laughs> yeah this is not what we were supposed to be doing so I got back down to 170 and there were a couple of days where I was like 169. I was like, holy crap, I'm going to have to cut for 165. Never been in this position before. So I, I couldn't even water load. I just like cut my carbs, did a little cardio. And then I just stopped eating and drinking at like noon the day before. And I was fine. But I would like to stay around 160, mm -hmm. maybe 165 ish. So I don't have to cut. 
but I am going to be cutting for, I'm competing again in six weeks. Don't That's be like me. Around. Yeah, don't be like me. It is, <laughs> it, it's rough. Do um, as I say, not as I do. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm doing that one and I'm cutting to 148. So right now I'm at about 164, 165. And I've been holding there since the meet's been over, but it's going to be some work to get yeah. back down to 148 after my body has felt so comfortable and grown into this 165. Mm-hmm. So is it giving you a competitive advantage to be in a lower weight class for that one? Yeah. I mean, it's a meet that's everything is by dots. So the gotcha. lower I can get my weight, the better. Yeah. Um, I used to, before I got hurt, I always competed raw at 148 and then competed in wraps at 165. Because of the overload, I just felt like it would be better to have more weight on me. Um, So this meet is raw and it's also like redemption for the showdown last year, kind of is what I'm telling myself. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm excited about it. The first week back training, like I took a week off after the meet. Well, I didn't get to take a week off, but it was light. And then the next week we did heavy sessions and I was like, wait, we're starting at what weight? And yeah, it was a little rough, but I was excited because my deadlift started about where it needed to. It felt like crap, but it felt like, you know, this is what to expect. But my squat in sleeves felt a lot better than I expected it to. So yeah, it's going to be, the biggest thing is just going to be figuring out how to keep my strength and cut the weight. But such a hard uh, combination. Yeah. So I'm starting now. I've added cardio on days when I'm not training, which I have never been a big fan of. And I'm, I'm more the type, like I'll cut my food before I do cardio, but now I'm like, no, sweetheart, you have to do both. So I'm trying to do more, not necessarily diet per se. I'm just not eating like crap. And then I don't do carbs at night. I'm fine with meat and vegetables and helps my body float more in the evening. So we'll see what happens. Well, I'm sure you can tackle that. No problem. (laughs) I'm, um, I'm the complete opposite though. I will add in cardio before I cut my food. Like I I need to eat. (laughs) I know. And it's just like, I I just tell myself it's only for a little while, you know, and then you'll get to enjoy it all later again. So it's not, I don't cut everything out. It's just, if I do decide to have something that I probably shouldn't, I'm very good at being able to do moderation. So like I found non-dairy ice cream, which I didn't know existed. I haven't had ice cream in years. Oh, you can get non-dairy anything. Yeah, now I know. So I'm (laughs) like, I can have a pint and it'll literally last me a month because I will take like three bites and put it up and I'm good. And I don't feel like that throws any of my macros off the wagon Mm -mm. and it got that craving out the way. And so- I'm all right. So it never really makes me feel like, oh, I can't wait till this is over unless I want to like go drinking or eat pizza or something I know is really going to mess me up for like a week. Right. Yeah. It, when you're in prep, you definitely have to sacrifice some of like the social aspects of it and going out with friends or family and doing all of that. So it is really important to have a very supportive uh, circle around you and like not not try to pressure you into doing things that, you know, you can't do right now. Yeah. And that's the hardest part, you know, looking at my journey over the past 10 years competing, I don't have the same friends. Well, not many. There's maybe like five that I have from before I started that I still can hang out with. And I'm like, Hey, y'all are cooking and y'all know I'm coming. So make sure you have 
my stuff separate and they're like yeah girl we got you but <laughs> others I'm just like I can't hang out with you right now because I know you're gonna want to go party and I'm probably gonna want to go with you so mm -hmm. let's just do it after when we can both enjoy it versus you being mad and saying I'm a party pooper or making you feel bad or whatever so a lot of people who I associate with now understand it and they're just like yeah girl holler at me after you meet because I don't want to be around you <laughs> when you hang out so we'll yeah. wait Absolutely. Um, back in the day, I, I did quite a few bodybuilding competitions. And when it got to the really, you know, difficult part of prep, like my, my friends just didn't talk to me for a couple weeks. Like my family kind of separated themselves, which was fine with me because I knew I was just awful to be around. Yeah. And it's not, you know, you know, you realize it and you try not to be, but it's just like, sometimes you just can't help it, you know? Yeah. And it's, I've learned that I need to be, I've worked on being really self-aware. So I say, hey, look, I'm in a mood. I just need, give me a minute, give me some hours. I'll holler at you when I'm ready, you know? But you have to be upfront and say that versus people are like, what's wrong? Oh, nothing, I'm fine. No, you're really not. Yep. And it used to bother me to have to admit that I wasn't okay, you know? Cause I'm like, just get over it, be strong, put on the strong front, put on your big girl panties smile everything will be fine no it's not and i'm not and i'll talk to you when i am yep absolutely and it's just it's good that you have that conversation because a lot of times like your your social circle your family will think that it's them when it's really not right, right? so like you're putting extra stress on them which in turn would make me feel worse yeah yeah um so going back to the american pro and your performance there um fantastic performance like one thing that i notice about you when i like watch your training videos and things on instagram is like you are so consistent in like the the quality and like the technical execution of every single lift that i see you do and mm -hmm. that you're very welcome and that translates like into your um competitive lifts as well like the way that you look on the platform is exactly the way that you look in your training videos i learned very early on practice how you play exactly. like that was one of the, all the time. first things that i was told and so i've always been super critical of my lifts always mm -hmm. and even now like the people i train with they're just like i'm like i don't think i hit depth was that low enough and they're like what are you smoking like I just didn't feel like it. It's like I'm always this hurt. This didn't feel good. Oh, I think I maybe locked out a little and even. Oh, I feel like maybe my butt came up a little bit. Did y'all see anything? Like I'm always hypercritical, mm -hmm. and I'm the same way as a coach. And I know that it is really hard for some lifters. Like I say that from jump. When somebody tells me they want to work for me, I tell them I am not for everybody. I'm not your cheerleader. Yeah. I'm not going to just sit here and make you feel good and tell you things look good when they don't. And they also know when I give them good feedback and I tell them I'm proud of them, they know I really mean it because I don't give false compliments for anything. Right. But it's just so frustrating to see lifters that have so much potential, but they're training technique is trash and they say oh it'll be there on meet day you hear that all the time and then yeah, you wonder why they bomb out mm -hmm. or they went three for nine or four for nine or whatever and it's just I've had several different coaches over the years and I've learned that you have to be honest with yourself you have to be honest with your coach yes. and you have to be open to receive the criticism because mm -hmm. if you can't take it you're not going to improve so it's always been like, it's funny because 
getting ready for Battle of the Bay was the first meet. Was that the first one in sleeves? No, it wasn't. Second meet in sleeves, or was it the gen? I don't know. One of my meets with Steve, we mistimed my opener. And so I was in the back getting ready to go out. And I was like, I think I heard I'm up next. And he was like, nah, not yet. It's too soon. And we get to the back, getting ready to get on the platform. And he has to rap me. So he's walking up to me with the raps. And I hear platform ready for Barbara Lee. And so I'm just sitting there and I'm like, and he's like, oh, I don't know how that happened. They went so fast. And I was like, yeah, we're not going to be ready for this lift. And I'm not going to stress myself out. Like we just, it's not going to happen. Right. So the expediter was like, okay, what do you want to do? And Steve says, well, we'll just repeat it. And I was like, no, we're not. We have numbers that we have to hit. You make me repeat this. We don't have a big enough jump. Put in the second attempt. We're going to go back in the back and take my opener. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to be ready. And he was like, yeah, let's go do that. But when we got back there, he was like, don't squat to depth, cut it. And I was like, what? And he was like, just get it on your back, feel it. Don't go all the way down. You don't need to. And that was so foreign to me. But in that situation, I was like, okay, I'm going to trust you. Yeah. And it ended up working out. I got my second, got my third. Everything was fine. We laugh about it now, but I've just never been okay with that was good enough or, well, you know, you can get it next time. Some people whose butt comes up all the time when they bench, you put them in a meet and tell them they can't lift their butt. They can't get it off their chest. Right. Or they don't, they don't train with proper pauses and then they get to a meet and they can't do it. You can't just expect it to be there. So I always, for me, this is me being prepared for the platform. Every training session is a chance to get it right, to perfect my technique so I don't have to think about it when I'm out there. Absolutely. And that's something that I preach to all of my clients as well and just drill into them. Like regardless of whether or not you have an empty bar or you have your max attempt, the way that you execute that needs to be exactly the same. It just yep. doesn't make any sense to me not to practice how you're going to perform right? Because it, it's so much more than just like being able to physically do it. But like the, the process that lifters go through when they set up for any lift, we'll say a squat, right? Like there's a mental checklist that you go through of things that need to happen before you can physically and mentally be prepared to, you know, achieve that goal, right? And mm -hmm. hit that squat. And yep. if, you know, steps one, two, and three get skipped and you skip right or jump right to four, like there's, there's no way that you're going to achieve that, right? But if you're not practicing steps one, two, and three, because the weight's light, then how are you, you're expecting yourself to do something when it's heavy that you're, you haven't been training when it's light. So it just doesn't make sense to me. Right. And I think it's funny. I went back and listened to the podcast and hearing some of the stuff from the commentators. And I'm just like, where do they get this stuff from? And I realized a lot of it is like, you know, you have to feel the, you have to spill the, fill the silence. Mm -hmm. And so they want to talk and they want to say stuff, but like, one of the things I heard was, oh my God, Barbara wastes so much energy on her setup for her lifts because she takes too long. But do you know why? Right. There's a method to my madness. And if you look at my videos from 10 years ago to now, I've always been like that. Mm -hmm. What they don't know, getting set for a squat, it literally probably takes me the whole minute and I watch it and I get frustrated with myself. So I'm like, just go. But I know that if I do that, the weight's going to feel heavier. Yep. I am still dealing with knee pain from my surgery. So there is still some risk from that. Every time I squat, I'm not going to rush, 
I also have an 80% tear in one of my rotator cuff tendons. So I can't just get under the bar and throw myself under it and stand up fast and go. I have tried to like move faster when I'm getting under the bar and when I shimmy to get my shoulders under it. And I've had excruciating pain afterwards. I felt something pop, which scared the crap out of me. I have to take my time. Yeah, It's not just about like, she feels unsure or anything like that. It's, I know what it takes for me to feel comfortable to take this risk that I'm about to take. And it takes time, Yeah, but it's also, I want to feel like everything is as tight as it can get. I want to make sure my shoulders are packed as much as they can be. I want to make sure my heart rate has slowed down a little bit because I still get nervous. Oh, so I, I part of it is too, like I'm breathing. telling myself calm down I'm probably one of the few lifters that tells herself to calm down before she goes but I have to so all of that is part of the process for me too so those same things that I do on the platform I do them when I train I take that long when I train yeah I'm not going to change it when I get to the meet yeah that's just a recipe for disaster (laughs) right um yeah you know every lifter's setup and process for each lift is going to be different. And, you know, on the, on the coaching side of things, you kind of have to figure out what is going to be best for that specific lifter that you're working with and be able to work around what they need, not just physically, but mentally as well, because this is very much a mental sport as it is a physical one. And, you know, watching you on the platform, like you do look very focused and you're very like zoned in. And it's almost like there's, there's nothing else around you. It's just you and the bar. And you know, for some other lifters, like they get, they are hyping up the crowd for them. And, you know, they come Mm -hmm. out with all this energy and like, that's great. And that's what they need. Like they need that hype and that energy, but some people don't. And some people just need to take their time and, you know, get comfortable in that space, which is why you get a full minute because some people need 10 seconds. Some people need 59 seconds. Right. And it's funny because this meet was the first meet I've done in years where the head judge made you look at him to signal that you were ready. Like normally you walk out, once you're standing still, you get the command. Right. And so when I walked out my opener, I'm standing there waiting and I keep my head down, I'm looking at the ground. I don't see the crowd. I've trained myself, I hear my coach and that is it. Mm -hmm. I don't hear people yelling. Like I don't hear any of that stuff until I go back and watch the videos. And so I'm standing there with the bar on my back and I'm waiting and I don't hear anything. And so when I look up, I have to find him. I'm like, I know he's a little bit off to the side, but when I finally look at him, he nods at me like, that's what I was waiting for. And then gives me the squat command. But I'm like, that throws me off. I'm I'm not used to having to do that. So even still, I train a certain way. I've competed a certain way for years and then get to the meet. And here's something different that you're not expecting to have to do. So that kind of threw me off a little bit on my opener too, but you know, it's like, okay, it's not that big of a deal. You like to have your eyes trained in a certain spot. You got to move them, but you can put them back. You'll be all right. But doing that, it also took me a couple seconds more with the bar mm-hmm. on my back after I made eye contact with him, because now I have to find my space and recenter myself yeah. again. Like it felt like a distraction. Yeah. Did, did they not tell you that in advance? Hmm. No. I mean, it's stuff like that. They may tell you in a rules briefing, but they're not going to have a rules briefing at a pro meet. You don't expect that. And I've done other WRPF meets and they haven't done that. So I'm not sure if that was just something that referee was used to from meets that they've worked before or what. But as far as I know, I don't 
that's not in the rule book. I think that's just a preference thing. Like it's supposed to be as soon as the lifter stops moving and has control of the bar, right. you give them the squat command. So that's what I know it to be as well. Yeah. So I don't know, but I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you, if you do it again, then you'll, you'll be prepared. Um, yeah. So, and I also heard that this meet something that was a little bit different where as typically if you are, if you're registered for a certain weight class and you don't make weight, you can just compete in whatever weight class you fall into where in this meet, they did not let you do that. Is that correct? Like if you didn't, yeah. make weight, you didn't compete. Yeah. Wait. And honestly, I was for that I because I think that one, it kind of holds you accountable. You're mm -hmm. a pro. This is what you signed up for. You need to make it happen. Um, I know life stuff happens and sometimes, you know, whatever, like I haven't knocked on wood somewhere. I have yet to yeah, not make I weight. <laughs> Thank you. I have yet to not make weight when I said I would, but I just feel like it meets at this level. It's, or, I mean, maybe you could still let them compete, but then they're out of the running for prize money. Yeah. You know, I think I've seen it done like that before and that's fine. So at least you don't forfeit all the money that you spent to go to the meet. You can still set your records or whatever, I guess. But for the prize money, you don't get to win or be considered for that. But yeah, I don't think like the meet I'm doing in September. I signed up at 148 and then I was like, man, I don't know if this is going to be a good idea, especially with the quick turnaround. Mm -hmm. And I messaged the meet director and he was like, I don't care what you weigh. I got invited at 148. So I feel like if, if that's what I accepted, that's what I should do. But he was like, I don't care, but just know you win money by dots. So the lower your weight is, the better chance you have at winning the money. But that's only if you can lose the weight and still keep your strength. If right. you cut weight and you have a crap meat, that's not doesn't matter. Yeah. And I think for a while I stayed at 148 because I felt like I was more competitive there. And I felt like as far as winning my weight class, I had the best chance there versus competing against 165ers. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, like I've just been feeling really confident in my lifting. I've figured out what works for me as far as my recovery and having to overshare everything with my coach and saying like today was a bad day. I didn't sleep well last night. I didn't eat enough. Okay, you're not training today. You're going to train tomorrow. Versus before I used to be on such a strict schedule. I have to train on Tuesday. I have to train on Thursday. Like he was like, you don't have to. We can push it back a day. And when he first started that with me, I was like, you're screwing up my training. You're messing up my schedule. This is what my body's used to. Mm -hmm. And then we started doing it. And I was like, okay, you were right. I was wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it's just, you know, you don't want to do something new when you feel like you've had success before, but everything that we've talked about has been working and I've been able to stay healthy and it's just, it's been great so far and I'm excited for what we're looking to do next year. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really excited for you and excited to see what's to come. Um, and you said the, the next meet six, six weeks away. Um, what are your, what goals have you set for yourself for that particular meet? So we're Other not supposed than to trying to be that. 148. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, try to be 148. That's yeah. it. Um, honestly, because I haven't done a sleeved meet since the last showdown, since the showdown. Um, initially, I just told myself I wanted to beat my wrapped total mm -hmm. at 148. I wanted to do better than that raw. 
So my wrapped total back in February at Battle of the Bay was 1219. So that was that's been the goal for this meet coming up. Like I just want to hit 1219 or higher. And Steve was like, that's stupid. That's 150 pounds less than what you just did. Ain't no way in hell I'm letting you step on the platform and do that. Yeah. So he has ideas in his head. And I'm like, you know what? Every time you tell me, I ask you what you're smoking because it just seems like, where are you getting this from? But then we get close to the meet and my training is going and I start looking at stuff and I'm like, you know, you might be right. And he's like, just let me do what I do. This yeah. is why I'm a coach. So you know, he has numbers in his head. I think he's crazy. And I was like, I'm going to just follow what you say, call what you see, and we can celebrate after when we have a good meet. Absolutely. And some it's really difficult as a coach to work with a coach and let go of control. It is so yeah, we fight. <laughs> we fight a lot. It's not oh, sure. right now, but when we first started working together again, I was like, this is a collaboration. You know, like, this is not going to work like that. And he was like, so am I your coach or not? Like, we, this happens all the time. But we have both gotten to a point because I also coach athletes in the same space with him. And so we've started talking more about our ideas about programming and the progression, getting ready for a meet. And a lot of it's the same. The only difference is I like more volume. Mm -hmm. that is it. So I might program an extra set or some extra reps versus he's like, that's enough. You're overdoing it. Yeah. And then other times I'll be like, what do you want me to do more since when now this is looking like something I would do. So right. it is very hard because I feel like I know what's best for me. And sometimes what I think is best for me runs me into the ground. Yep. And so when I first reached out to him to coach me again, I was like, I need somebody that I can trust to take the reins because I don't want the stress of having to figure out my training every week. Mm -hmm. I don't want to call my numbers and I need somebody to yank the chain when it needs to be yanked because I just keep thinking, push harder. It doesn't matter if you're hurt. All of this hurts anyway. You're going to be fine. No, that's not the best mindset to be in as, as an athlete, because as, as we know, the recovery piece is so incredibly important. Um, well, not and that, but because I'm getting older and I stopped factoring that part in, I was like, age doesn't matter. No, boo, it does. Yeah, it really does. I, I can't remember who I was having this conversation with, but, um, oh, it was Amber. Um, we were talking about like the, the further that you progress in your powerlifting career, how you, have more variables and more obstacles that you need to overcome. Like just getting stronger doesn't eliminate all of those factors. Like it actually adds more factors into the equation and you yep. don't realize that until you get there. Right. So like you being 40, things probably feel a lot different than they did when they were 30, when you just started right now, you okay. have 10 years of going through this sport. And obviously that's going to take a toll on you. And, you know, as, as women, our bodies change all the time and do crazy, ridiculous things. And like, you have to take that into account. Like there's probably things that you're dealing with now that you didn't have to think about when you were 30. Right. And so it's just, it's funny how it doesn't get easier. You just learn how to overcome those things and deal with obstacles as they get thrown at you. Yeah. I think that the biggest thing has been the weight and I'm like, man, these cuts are not as easy as they mm -hmm. used to be. Or like, even when I know I'm eating clean, I'm like, man, my weight should be down a little more than it is right now what is going on but it's just 
we actually, and this was more him than me because I don't believe in rest. I never, I've always been a, I have downtime. That means I'm not doing something I need to be doing or I could be doing something else to better myself. So the idea of like rest, like really you're not gonna go do programming. You're not gonna go do cardio. You're not gonna go play on YouTube, like actually physically relax your mind, relax your mm -hmm. body. I've never been into that. Yeah. And that is the biggest thing we've incorporated since I've been back training. And it's like, where are these numbers coming from? Like, I know you could have never told me after getting hurt that I would come back and in less than three years, be stronger than I was before I got hurt being mm -hmm. older. Never. Yep. Rest is such an important factor. And, you know, as a, a coach, you know this, I know this, that when you're coaching somebody, you're not just coaching them through the training process, but you're literally like becoming a life coach yes. <laughs> in a lot of ways, right? Because mm -hmm. you get to know your athletes in such, you know, a, a personal and deep way and get to know so many things about their life. And you have to teach them how to manage that stress and teach them how to rest because some people aren't very good at that. Um, some people are the opposite, like, well, you think you've had enough rest. Maybe we need to do a little bit more work now, but, um, you know, it, it's crazy. It, it's not just coaching the lifts and it's not just coaching the sport. It's really coaching the entire lifestyle. Right. I have one athlete. He trains his butt off. Like I accidentally programmed him basically two deadlift sessions in one. And one of them was like something you would do three weeks out, like a heavy double or a triple. And he did it all. And he was like, man, coach, you killed me today. And I was like, when I saw the videos, I was like, what are you doing? He's like, I did everything you told me. I said, first of all, you didn't think you should have asked me. Did I really mean to put that in? This is what happens when I program on my phone late at night, like, oh crap, I forgot to do this person's workout. And so I was like, okay, talk to me. How are you feeling? How is your stress? How's your sleep? And he's like, I don't sleep much. Like I've been like this for years. And I was like, you do know that's kind of why we keep hitting this wall mm -hmm. right before the meet. And I was like, do you take a sleep aid? And he was like, nah, I, can't, I don't want to take that. I don't want to get dependent. If you don't go to the drugstore and buy you a non-habit forming sleep aid and at least minimum take that the night before you train, we're going to physically fight next time I see you. Like, I don't understand. I take a sleep aid every night. My mind does not shut off. I, I normally try not to on the weekends, but between my job and training and coaching and everything else, if I don't, I will wake up and sometimes even taking a sleep aid, I'll wake up at four o'clock in the morning and I'm up for two to three hours. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, if I can do something that helps me not have that happen, why would I not? And then when I don't need it, I don't take it. And yeah. if I don't feel well, then that's fine. But what you, that, yeah, it, I was like, I'm a fighting thing. Yeah. Yeah. Once in a while, it happens to everybody. Every single night we have some issues. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, the last thing that I wanted to talk about, um, and you had mentioned this before we started recording, but I loved what you said. So I want to make sure that you repeat it. Um, so you were talking about, when you first got into powerlifting and how that affected all of the other aspects of your life. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, I was just saying, well, we were talking about how like talking to people on social media mm -hmm. and then actually meeting them and they're actually the people who they say they are. And 
I just think it's funny for me because a lot of my close friends who know me know that I'm actually kind of shy, mm -hmm. but I don't think that that comes through on my social media just because like there's no room for being shy or timid when you're under three, four, 500 pounds of weight or, right. you know, just it's not that's not the time for that. And so one of the things that I always preach about that I love about this sport is just how it not only has impacted me physically, but mentally and emotionally making me stronger and making me more confident mm -hmm. because I used to be terrified to talk in front of people, definitely would not want to do something like this because I would be, my voice would be really shaky. I think it really started to come full circle for me when I started training with Steve five years ago, six years ago, because I always trained by myself before that. And if I felt like people were watching me, I would shut it down and go home. Yep. Like I was just like, I feel uncomfortable. I'm going to miss. People are going to laugh at me. And then when I started training here with the team, he makes everybody go and take turns and everybody goes one at a time. So even though there's four or five racks, you wait, it's not your turn. And everybody watches you and cheers for you. So the first time I came out here, I went in the corner and tried to like go do my warmups by myself. And he's like, what you doing? Like, that's not how we train here. And I was like, I don't want everybody to watch me. And he's like, yeah, what do you think is going to happen on the platform? Exactly. And I bombed at my very first meet because I was terrified that everybody was watching me. So mm -hmm. it, it started there. And then he was like, hey, do you want to come out and help work a meet? And I was like, uh, yeah, I guess I could do that. But I stayed at the computer. So I didn't really have to talk to people. And then he was like, hey, why don't you go announce awards? And I'm like, hmm, I can't do that. <laughs> and the, I, the first time I did, I was like, okay everybody and he literally turned and stared at me and was like what the hell's wrong with your voice and I was like shut up I'm nervous <laughs> but now it's like hey let's host a meet and like I'm doing the introduction I'm talking to people wanting to do seminars and just I feel like I've kind of found my thing yep. that makes me feel more in love with myself and so by having that, it makes me feel more confident to talk to other people because I want, if it's not this, you know, that's fine, but just maybe sharing my story will help inspire them to want to find something that makes them feel this way. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I experienced the exact same thing. Like before I found powerlifting, like very, very much an introvert. Now I would categorize myself as a um, extroverted introvert. So when it comes to like fitness and talking about powerlifting and all that, like I could talk about that for days to anybody, but in other like social aspects, I tend to be a little bit more quiet and a little bit more reserved. So like, I've definitely found what brings out my, my natural personality, but it, it took a long time to get there. And, mm -hmm. you know, you were saying like being nervous about coming onto a podcast, like I was nervous to start a podcast. I'm like, I don't talk for the sake of talking. Like, that's just not who I am, but right you know, I'm talking about something that I'm super passionate about. And so like over time, obviously it gets a lot easier. Right. Um, but you know, it's just, it's so funny how, like, I've heard that story so many times, right? Like that's a, a story that we share with a lot of lifters. Um, and you know, whether it's, you know, body image related, whether it's just overall confidence and whatever aspect of your life, like those things are going to transition and not just affect you as an athlete, but affect you as a friend and as a wife and a employee and all of these other aspects of your life. So, um, I thank you so much for sharing that. I appreciate that. And I think a lot of people Absolutely. can relate to that. 
So um, one final thing, what is like one big piece of advice that you would give to your fellow female lifters who are training their way to the elite level? Think about longevity in -hmm. the sport because when I first started, there weren't many women doing it. Right. And it didn't discourage me. It was kind of just like, it sucks. Like there, I remember one of my last meets before I decided to never, well, to let go. I started in the 132s a long, long time ago. Um, but that cut, that last meet, that cut was horrible, barely made weight. And I went one for three. And I was like, I'm not cutting anymore. I was the only woman in the whole meet. Mm-hmm. So wow. I had to, yeah, that was very intimidating because it was like, I went and then they loaded on a bunch of plates and it was like, okay, now the meat starts. And, you know, it's just like, whatever, I don't care. I'm just going to keep doing this. And I've made so many friends along the way. I've learned so much, but I've seen a lot of people come and go mm-hmm. a lot and they come and they're like at the top within a year. And I'm like, how? How? That's what I want to know. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, it was when I first got into it, I had a coach that was online and she'd only been lifting for a couple years, but she had all time world records. And I was just like, how, what are you like, what, what are you doing? And she was like, oh, just keep training. You'll get there. She wasn't honest about what she was doing, number one. Mm -hmm. And so that made a huge difference for her, but also too, like, I, she doesn't compete anymore. She didn't compete for, I think like maybe a year after she started working with me, she was done. So it's always, I'm always like, Hey, and it was hard for me to grasp. Cause I was just like, how do I get stronger? How do I get stronger? Part of the reason I got injured one, I didn't know that I didn't have an ACL. So there was instability in that knee to begin with but I was overtrained and I was chasing numbers and I was chasing numbers. Like within the next year, I want to hit this within the next year. I want to hit this. And then, yeah, you got there, but look what happened. Right. You know, so now it's like, even since I got hurt and coming back, like I haven't missed since I started competing, there hasn't been a year I haven't competed. Even the year I got hurt, I competed at, I took like the one year anniversary I competed from my injury or from my surgery. But it's just been even girls that I watched as I was coming back, like, who is this chick? Where did she come from? Where did these numbers come from? And some of them aren't there anymore. Right. You know, so it's like, if it means a lot to you and you want to do well in it, take your time Mm -hmm. and just do it. Like, don't worry about having to be strong enough. Don't worry about trying to compare yourself to anybody else. Do not cut for your first meet. Just don't. (laughs) (laughs) Please don't. But just, you know, find a good support system that more than anything else, because it is really easy to listen to the outside noise and get distracted and listen to the people telling you not to, because in my family, nobody works out. Absolutely nobody. Mm -hmm. So it was my own family telling me I look like a man. I had man arms and asking my ex, how do you sleep next to that dude at night? And just. I wasn't even big then, like I'm way bigger now. So I can just imagine what they'll say, but it almost made me quit. And then I found friends, I had two friends and they were both in the space of fitness. And they were just like, when you need somebody call us, don't talk to anybody else. You don't need the negativity. Find a good support system. Just do it. Take your time. That is what I would say. Absolutely. And I I 100% agree with you. And, 
you know, when, and I find this more with women than with men, the I'm not strong enough, like conversation. It's like, well, you also have to take into account who, who are you looking at? Like, right. are you looking at people who have been doing this for a very long time and are at that elite level and at that pro level? Or are you going to local meets and seeing what your actual competition is going to be? Exactly. And even then, like, you know, even if you're the one that opens up the meet, who cares? You're still so far ahead of everyone sitting in the audience. that's not competing at all. Right. So just the fact that you're, you're doing it and you're putting in the, the time and the effort and grinding, like that speaks volumes just by itself, because, you know, you can't, you can't look at a female lifter at the American pro, right. If you're just getting into powerlifting, otherwise you're never going to do it. Right. But yeah. you didn't start off there. Right? No. You started off at a local meet, opening up the meet amongst all these men <laughs> and doing your thing. Um, yeah. so it's, it's not necessarily comparing apples to apples when you look at it like that. And, you know, what I love about the powerlifting community is people are so accessible, um, and very open to, to help new lifters and answer questions and, you know, be that support. Um, you know, there isn't one power lifter, at, even at the elite level that I have personally DM'd for, you know, one reason or another that I haven't gotten a response from. Whereas, you know, some people like, you know, the bodybuilding world or whatever, like, yeah, you crazy. don't have those types of connections. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I and I was the crazy thing is this past year in March, I was like, okay, turning 40 this year. I normally want to have a deadlift party for my birthday. Oh, and so I was funny. like, oh, yeah. So I was like, hey, how about we have a meet, like a full meet? And so named it the Queens of the South, women's only. And I was like, I'm going to put up some money because I want to make sure the girls have something. We're going to do sashes, tiaras, like all of the fancy girly stuff. You have no idea how many women said to me, I want to come, but I don't think I'm qualified. I don't want to, I want to come, but I don't think I'm strong enough. It's, I mean, it's a local meet just because I want you to win some money. Doesn't make it like a quality, like, am I qualified? Do I have to have competed before? No. And guess what? If it's your first meet and you were the only one in your weight class, the 125 that you won paid for your entry fee, like, so what? When but I had a lot of women who did not compete and didn't want to sign up because they, oh, I don't think I'm qualified. I don't think I'm strong enough. I'm not going to win. You're not going to win some other meets either. So yeah. are you not going to do those? Do you know how many meets I go to that I know I'm not going to win? Even yeah. at this level, you know, like I always say set goals for yourself. Set yes. individual goals, goals that will make your meet successful. Absolutely. Because if you base it just on whether or not you win, you're going to quit. Absolutely. I went into the American pro and I was like, my goal is I want to squat 500 pounds. I've never squatted that in my life. This is a big stage. And if I can accomplish that at this meet, it's a win. I don't care what else happens. I want my deadlift to be there too. I wasn't even thinking about where I was going to place. Just that was not on my radar. I just want to have a good meet. And if I hit my goals, wherever that puts me, I had a good meet and I'm celebrating. Absolutely. And the rest of it was just the icing on the cake. Yeah. Well, you did it. I did. I did. (laughs) I was just like, wait, like when we got to deadlifts and Steve was like, I think you're going to be able to finish second. And I was like, we're not talking about that. I don't want to hear that. I just want to go deadlift. Like, let me exactly my numbers. That's it. I was like, we got my squat. We got more than what I wanted on my squat, more than what I expected on my bench. 
I was like deadlift. I want 550. That's all I want. And then no. we ended up doing more than that too. So you could have told me I finished last and I was celebrating at my VIP table. Like I won. Absolutely. As you should. <laughs> yes. Got to put everything into perspective. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's so awesome. What that put your dot score five, uh, six Oh eight. Oh, you're in the sixes now. First time ever. Dang, girl. And that's why I was like, I didn't even think about that. And then when we started looking at numbers and I was like, what you're talking about, Steve will give me a 600 dots. And he's like, okay, well then you, and I was like, you're crazy. There's no way. There's no way. So yeah, it was actually higher than we both figured we could have finished at. So wow. yeah, when I say this meet couldn't have been more perfect, like everything was spot more than spot on for what I wanted. Oh, that's awesome. Congratulations. It'd be hard to stop it. You what? I said, it's going to be hard to top it. Like going oh. to any other meet and the environment not being like that. Like, oh man, we don't get a red carpet. <laughs> See, that's what I told you. See, they set the standard. Now that's going to be the expectation for Pride right. going forward. Where's my big backboard with all the <laughs> lights and stuff? Right. I know. Well, next year, right? I'm definitely. You're going to be doing it again uh, next year. So that's awesome. Hopefully I will be there. Oh, good. Can't wait. Well, Barbara, I really appreciate you uh, chatting with me today. Um, and I cannot wait to see what you pull out at this next meet that you're doing in a couple of weeks. Thank you for having me. I will keep posting my training on my Love Instagram. It. I don't do Facebook as much anymore. I know everybody's on TikTok, not really my thing. I'm still trying to figure it out. I feel like <laughs> I'm like literally like a grandma, like what's this TikTok thing everybody's doing? So I feel the exact same way. Like I started a TikTok just because I kind of feel like you have to now, like it's going right. to turn into like what Instagram is now, but I'm like, I don't understand it. Like I personally, <laughs> I don't like scrolling through stupid videos and I feel like that's all TikTok is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't know. I'm like, I posted 60 seconds, only 15 seconds got posted. I don't understand. It's yeah. So I'm Instagram right there with is my favorite. That's where all my stuff's going to be. Same. Us uh, old folk will stay on Instagram. <laughs> right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Barbara. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye.